Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today to Catherine Skipper, who is a principal and part of the executive team with architectural firm Warren & Marnie. Catherine spent her first three years of her architectural career with Warren & Marnie before leaving to develop her own practice in Wellington. She rejoined the practice in 2012 and was appointed principal in 2015. Catherine's worked on projects including Wellington's International Airport, Te Papa Tongarewa's five-year renewal, EY's Wellington Office Fit-Out and Westpac Stadium. In 2019, Catherine was the recipient of the Property Council Wellington's Judges' Choice Award. Catherine has also contributed more broadly to the profession, including as branch chair for the New Zealand Institute of Architects. I'm looking forward to hearing more about Catherine and her career today. Catherine, good morning and thank you very much for joining me. Hi Anna, how are you today? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your career journey, architecture is one of those, I think, careers that I've just, I've always admired, you know, people creating just amazing structures and buildings and design. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about how you got into it and what you love about it. All right, no problem. So you said when we spoke just beforehand that you'd listened to a couple of the other interviews. So you probably know what my first question is going to be, which is if you take yourself a little way back to when you were a child or maybe even a teenager, what were you thinking about in terms of your career? Yeah, so I've, I've spoken to a few of the women in our organisation about this actually. So to them, it won't be a surprise, but I'm actually a failed astronaut. So that was my dream as a young child, probably around the time of the space shuttle. And I was absolutely obsessed with uh, space and being an astronaut and quite broken hearted, actually, when I found out that New Zealand didn't have a space program. <laughs> I laugh about it now because I was so, you know, beautifully naive as a probably an 11 year old. Yeah, but that transitioned actually into wanting to be in the Air Force. Really, really wanted to do was be an Air Force pilot, but that wasn't destined to happen for me. Yeah, so that's where I started. That was the dream. <laughs> really interesting. And you may or may not have listened to it, but Charlotte Walsh, who's the CEO of Jade Software, had exactly the same. She wanted to be an astronaut when she was younger and absolutely it drove her initial interest in maths and physics, which then for her ended up leading into more operations and, and now a technology role. But it's interesting, some of those early dreams... And so how then did you end up becoming interested in, in architecture? What stage did that happen? Yeah, well, that's interesting, isn't it? And I suppose looking back now, it's interesting you mentioned maths and physics because those were always subjects that I um, really enjoyed at school, but I also loved art. So I, was, I loved and enjoyed maths, physics and art, and I was really good at maths and physics and art. I really have to, had to work hard and I just loved it. And so... Architecture had always sat there in the back of my mind as a career that could potentially even flow with the other things I wanted to do with my life. I find it difficult to put into words, but I always knew I wanted to have a family. I wanted to be a mother and I wanted a career that could support that as well as wanting to do a, a good job in whatever I did. 
yeah, I guess it was just probably going through school, career counsellor, maybe suggested architecture. And I remember I went and did a day's work experience in an architect's office. I don't remember whose it was, um, but it completely put me off. Went away from architecture for a little while. And when I first went to university, I studied physics and law in my first year and um, realised that neither of them were my passion either. So that was it was at that point that I reassessed Um, I took a job as a cadet at the Reserve Bank and really thought about, okay, I have ability, what do I actually want to do with my life? And that's when I decided to go back to university to try and get accepted into the architecture programme. Great story. And I think a nice illustration of actually we try something and slowly by trying something we realise maybe it's not for us. And then we come back to actually what maybe are those original passions. Architecture is that nice combination of, yes, the mess physics kind of the logic side alongside that creative artistic element yeah really interesting and if I'm correct I think you joined Warren and Marnie even while you were still studying and then kind of took a graduate role with them what were the kind of the highlights and challenges of those first few years yeah that's right I did so I actually took a role as a technician Uh, the Wellington studio here was delivering the Wellington Stadium And I took on a role as a contract technician. I had my first daughter by that stage. So I had Claudia when I was halfway through my architecture degree. And actually, the truth is I'd got to a point where I was sick of being a poor student and I just wanted to work. I took the role here as a grad in that technician role before I finished my degree. Yeah, just put my head down and worked for a while. So what was challenging? Being a single mum taking on that role and then actually deciding to go back to university to finish my degree. So I did that part-time at the same time. It was quite a lot of work. <laughs> I laugh now, but you just get you just put your head down and, and you get on with it, really. It was an amazing time of opportunity, working for a commercial practice and being involved in you know, large projects and seeing actually what architects can be involved in, uh, much broader than I'd probably thought about prior. And I think that's probably, I guess, the benefit of being in a large firm is you get that exposure to a broad range of projects being in a a bigger firm. Yes, that is true. And a a deeper kind of professional network. You know, there's always somebody to ask if you've got a question or a tricky problem to try and work through. I can imagine. I can also imagine, though, full on, as you say, with a young child trying to study and try to work at the same time. I can imagine that would have been pretty busy and pretty challenging, too. I reckon I learned my time management skills then. (laughs) And then, if I'm correct, a few years in, you made the decision then to set up on your own, to launch your own practice. What prompted that decision? Yeah, you're right. I did. I transferred to Auckland with Warren Amani and... I was still a graduate at that time. My husband at the time got a role in Auckland, so we decided to go and work there. And it was fine, but I think I had some sort of an itch to have, I don't know, you get to a certain age in your life and you look back and you can self-analyse. I think it was a control thing. I think I wanted to be in control of more parts of the process and actually see if I could do it on my own because it's quite different being a sole trader. And so I was lucky enough that a friend of ours at the time, the parents wanted a batch and they offered me, you know, the job to design and detail it for them. And on the basis of that one potential project, I um, quit my job and set up in the dining room at home. 
So I don't know, what prompted it? Probably looking for a challenge and and looking to just try something. It felt like if I was ever going to try it, I might as well do it now. It's interesting you say, you know, I had that one project and I sort of, you know, took the leap and quit. Sometimes people quit or start their own business with less than that. So, uh, So at least you had a piece of work to go into. And you then continued to run your own practice to work for yourself for, I think, about a decade. What were some of the benefits? What did you gain from from running your own practice? Yeah, I think it was all of a sudden having responsibility for every part of that process. And there are times where, as a creative industry, it's quite hard to come up against the realities of needing to set a fee stand behind that fee, actually ask people to pay it at the end of a phase and and make sure the money's coming in, as well as being able to do the work you want to do. I think I gained a respect for the business side of what is a creative industry, that you can't have the luxury of creativity without also a good business sense in behind it. The two are kind of in harmony ideally. You know, I'm still in contact with many of my clients from back then and actually with many of the builders that I worked with back then. It's a wonderful process to go through with a group of people because you're effectively taking somebody's, often somebody's life savings, you know, when you're talking about uh, residential work and building or designing for them their dream and then working with a builder or a contractor to turn that into a reality. And I learned to be really respectful of every single part of that because no one part of that system can can do it on its own. And so when you get together to that point at which it's finished, it's hugely rewarding, you know. I can imagine bringing that dream to life, but also I can imagine all the the practical realities of the challenges that, that come up along the way would be interesting too. Yeah, for sure. And then, Catherine, you then returned to Warren and Marnie, and it's not always a a common move, particularly after working for yourself for quite a period of time, to go back into working for a company again. What was it that made you want to return? Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, on the face of it, it was quite wonderful, really. My two younger children were at school, primary school, and I was able to be self-determinant about when I was working and when I was being a mum. But I had got to the point where I realised I was professionally lonely. And I guess to, to define that a little bit more, it was that relentless working on your own. Or There were times where I actually worked with a couple of others and supported their work. But, yeah, I just got to the point where I realised I would be doing the same thing and not uh, growing not being challenged if I continued to do that. So there was nothing particularly wrong. I was just ready for a bit, a few more inputs, really, and a bit of a challenge. And as you said, I think you know, even when starting in that graduate role, actually having that amazing network there of people that you can talk to and ask if you have a challenge or how should we do this or bounce ideas around with, you can miss that sometimes. I know working for myself, you know, how do you still maintain that network has been a bit of a challenge. So absolutely, I can see getting that from uh, and returning would, would make a lot of sense. And as well, being able to work on more, more complex projects was something I was, I think I was really starting to miss. So I had the, you know, the busyness of working from home of the girls being little across lots of, of projects of a certain size. But actually, I think I worked out that I had more in the tank and that I wanted the opportunity to apply that 
to some more complex problems. Absolutely. And then what was the journey now from joining back into Warren Amari and now into you're part of the executive team, you're a principal. What was the, the journey to that role? It's interesting for me now. We're having this talk actually at an interesting time professionally for me, Anna, if I'm honest. And your question makes me think, you know, there was a pathway there that I probably for a while didn't realise I was on. So going back to why I came back to the practice, you know, looking for that challenge, I was lucky enough to be put into a team working on a really big project for Wellington and I just leapt in with both feet, if I'm honest. I just absolutely loved it. It's one of the best projects I've ever worked on in my life. And I think that pathway to uh, the role I have now probably started with an attitude of just giving it everything and not being worried about saying when I didn't understand something or needed assistance. Because for me, I'd come from this wasteland of having nobody to ask into this really rich environment of talent. And so I was asking people's things left, right and centre. And now I look back on that and go, well, actually, that's so um, empowering. And I love it when we have people working with us and that's how they behave because it just lifts everybody because you're sharing the knowledge. I, I just I sometimes wonder if it was that way of working on that first project that probably put my head above others. And then it was some of those other skills outside the, if I can kind of do the straight up and down line of, of architect, it's those other skills that maybe um, I was developing at that point that started to put me on that pathway to principal and then um, to, to leading the Wellington studio that I do now. And I'm guessing was the project that you were talking about was that Wellington Airport. That's right, yeah. It struck me, and now you having told the story about, oh, yeah, you thought about being a, a, in the Air Force and, and you being a pilot, but actually you know, the airport piece, the, at least coming back to being close to planes, must have been a joy as well. It was an absolute joy, yeah. Really getting to understand how that needs to operate from a from an operational side of things was just right up my alley. Yeah, I can hear that in your voice. What else do you love about your current work? Oh, look, I just, there's a lot to love, Anna. And I, I just really love the people I work with. If I'm honest, like first and foremost, I think we all have a choice every day to get up and go and work somewhere. And the, the people I work with, both here in Wellington, but across our whole network, I just love it. It puts energy in my tank every day. So that's first. The clients, of course. The wonderful thing about working in this profession in construction and in architecture is that every project is a new opportunity to get to know a new business, a new set of clients, to understand really what makes them tick, what they need what we can do to help facilitate their dreams and aspirations for their business or their community group or whatever. And so that as well is a real is a real joy and being able to work at scale, it's a luxury really to be able to create buildings that will be on the skyline, you know, and part of the fabric of our cities. That's a real luxury and we have to always remember to think about it in that way, in my opinion. It's not a right and we don't know all the answers. We get to be the facilitators of finding the right answer for the client or the community and then it's there. 
you know, for quite some time. Often for quite some time. And I like you sort of talked about it as being the fabric of the city or part of the skyline. That absolutely is the case, you know, having lived in London for many years, the change in the city because of the buildings that started to emerge and come up was transformational. You know, that architecture had had a massive impact on the city itself. So, yeah, I can see how that might come through. Yeah, and you have to be careful, I think, sometimes as an architect not to let your ego get away with you, right? Yeah, it's not like we're in control of everything. But I think it's a it's a respect actually for the whole industry and what we're all doing together because we're all trying to make these cities, along with the clients, you know, that commission the work, we're all trying to make it a better place for everybody to work in and live in and, and be who we are. So that's really exciting. And look, another key thing I'm really enjoying at the moment, kind of being on that pathway and helping not just our organisation, but other organisations promote diversity within ourselves and working through how to try and tackle what is quite a big issue, really, for our industry, not only for architecture, but, you know, construction, engineering as well, and how we can make meaningful change there. It's really close to my heart, actually. The challenges of, of diversity are complex. There's no somehow magical silver bullet that will fix it. It's not enough just to pop a few different people in and then ta-da, you know, you hope you get all the benefits of that diversity that has to come with those thoughts and opinions and, and ideas being respected and valued as well. From your work or your interest in, in this space, what have you found has helped in terms of nurturing or improving diversity? I think the biggest thing is what actually what you've just said. It's, it's focusing on inclusivity. Well, there's no point bringing people in that are different if you're not fundamentally going to listen to them and celebrate that they might have a different way of approaching a task or an issue or a conversation even. It makes no sense. So the biggest thing we can do, I think, is work on that inclusiveness because that's good actually for everybody. It's kind of fundamental to having a really great culture in your business anyway. So why wouldn't you do it? And then it's got this added benefit of as you're also trying to create opportunities for a broader range of people to to join your business, then you've got this inclusive culture that they are coming into, not the other way around, if that makes sense. Mm, It does. You're setting people up to hopefully succeed and to thrive rather than potentially setting them up to fail. That's right. And I think what it does is it sets everybody up to thrive, which is actually what you want. You don't just want some token new people coming in and for them to thrive. You want to work in a place where everybody feels valued and is doing their best work, you know, and wants to come to work every day because they feel that actually they're giving something um, and they're valued. Absolutely. And you talked briefly about diversity then and you're recognising whether it's engineering, construction or even actually particularly the more senior levels of architecture, it is still pretty male-dominated. What have been some of the the challenges or or obstacles you may have faced as a woman in your career? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know that I've necessarily seen many of the challenges until after they occurred which is quite funny. I think when I look back now, it was probably very challenging as a young graduate to not have any female role models, either in our company or 
you know, to be fair, there wouldn't have been any, if I'd joined any of the main, major practices probably at that time, there might have been a handful. So I didn't really think about it as a young woman. I was just, you know, head down getting on with what I wanted to do. But I look back now and think, actually, that was that was pretty tough. It's really hard to be what you can't see. But having said that, I had have always had really amazing male role models and people particularly here that have actually put me forward for things probably before I felt I was ready. And when I look back now, at the time I thought they were really challenging things to be asked to do, but I can see now that was it was somebody more senior than me recognising that I had the ability to do that and putting me forward for that. So I'm really thankful for that, actually. It's something that I, I often talk about with women is almost that notion, and I believe how you're talking about it, is almost that notion of having a, a sponsor, not somebody formal, but somebody who is putting you forward for those opportunities that are going to challenge you and stretch you and help you to grow and develop and progress and, and get you visibility. There's a role for mentors as well, to people give you advice and, and experience, but also the role for actually somebody who's really going to advocate for you and, and your skills and talents and, and what you can bring can make a, make a big difference. Absolutely. And, you know, I remember when I was appointed the studio principal here in Wellington and I bumped into an old client that I'd had when I was working for myself, bumped into him in the street. And I, and I was a little bit shocked at the time because I, I couldn't quite believe that, that they'd given me the role. And I blurted it out to him in the middle of Woodward Street and he just looked me straight in the eye and he said, Catherine, you realise that they wouldn't give you that job if they didn't think you could do it. So that's actually, you need to trust them. Do you trust who you work with? And I said, oh, absolutely. And he said, well, you need to trust them because they know you can do it. You just haven't worked it out yet. And it just stuck in my brain because I'd worked with with him for uh, quite a while. And I thought, you know what, he's right. I just need to chill out about this for a little while and get on and put my head down, which is what I'm good at doing, and get on with it. Wonderful. Great piece, great piece of advice from somebody that really made that kind of mindset shift for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can imagine a big role, busy life. How do you find some kind of a balance between your work life and, and your broader life? Yeah, look, I think it's probably not much different than many people. I have... Uh, really strong family ties. My three girls and my mum and my sister and my bro- my broader family. So so spending time with family is is really important to me. I spend a lot of time outside. So I when it gets quite full on and I can feel myself uh, not being as focused as probably I need to be, then I know that's a good signal for me to get outside. Actually, just get my hands dirty, get my gum boots on, and get a bit of energy from nature. I try to every day spend a bit of time just reflecting on what it is that I'm trying to achieve. So I do it in the morning. So what is it that I want to focus on today? Because, you know, there's always more things on the to-do list than you will ever be able to get done in a day. Always, 100%. I've learned that unless I set time aside in the morning to actually focus on what do I think is the most important thing today, then it's kind of overwhelming and it's hard to know where to focus and you can have a very scattered day. So just taking a few minutes in the morning for myself to focus my energy and also thinking about there's the, there's the tasks that are related to projects or management, but then there's the broader, the long-term development that I'm you know, looking to 
do in my own self. So what am I doing today that helps me take go down that journey as well? Because if you don't focus on it, it kind of doesn't happen. Those long-term pieces just drift um, unless they're, unless you bring them back to front and centre. What a great habit to have in daily morning routine. Super. As you look back at your career, what have been some of your proudest moments? Look, I think the day that I opened the letter confirming that I was accepted as a registered architect was probably a highlight. It takes a long time to become a registered architect. I don't I don't know how many people are aware, but you, you do your five-year degree and then you have to do a minimum of three years practical experience. And look, that's really a minimum. There's very few that, that sit it after that. So you do your practical experience and then you sit. I think it's a four-hour oral examination with two examiners and you've prepared a full written document showing how you meet the competency standards. It's a really long pathway. And when I got that letter, I remember feeling like I'd finally actually achieved that goal. I'd set myself way back as a you know 20-year-old. And I didn't get registered until I was well into my 30s, actually. I was quite late to become registered. So it was quite a big moment, that moment. When the projects you're involved in are opened, when you're there at the Pofuri and you see the community or the organisation take that space for themselves, huge feelings of pride in that because as the architects, you know, you kind of, you melt away into the background. It's not your time anymore and I feel so proud at that point of actually what what the client or the organisation has achieved for themselves. In fact, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know, there's so many. And look, there was, uh, there's one special one that probably sticks there for me. I took my daughters a couple of years back I was lucky enough to be involved in toy art at Te Papa, which opened a couple of years ago. And I took my kids there the weekend after it had the official opening and was typical kind of one went off to the toilet and needed food at the cafe. And I was standing next to my middle child and she just gave me a hug randomly and said, when I'm a mum, I'm going to bring my kids here and show them what their grandma did. And I just about lost it. It was just got me right in the guts, actually. <laughs> and I felt really proud of what me and the whole team had achieved. And actually, I felt proud of what I was showing my own daughters they could do. I had a few tears in my eyes myself when you told that story. It was such a lovely one. As you say, kind of you know, having three daughters and, and them looking and seeing you as just a wonderful role model just that piece around, as you said, that the legacy, that space will stand and that your kids will be proud to to show that to their kids. Gosh, what a wonderful story. You know, where do you see your career now heading in, in the future? You know, you ask really good questions, Anna. And look, I, as I said earlier, we're having this conversation at a really interesting time because I'll be open. At the moment, there's a grappling in my mind with the fact that I am to some extent leaving behind the tools of my trade that I have supported my family on, which is being a traditional architect, you know, through that construction process, to realising that actually I have a skill set around management and governance. I think I'm on the start of that journey and it's actually can be at times quite frightening to let your, you know, what you used to do day to day not be what you do day to day and to transition into a new kind of part of your life without letting it go completely. 
I hope that makes sense and it's not too opaque. I'm no longer in Revit on the computer detailing a building. That's not something that is on my day-to-day every day anymore. And so when I think about what's next, I'm not sure that I entirely know, but I know that the role I have now, I want to give it everything for the amount of time that I need to. And I want to let myself be open to what other challenges might come up through that, which if I look back on everything else, it's those challenges that get set in front of you that lead to the amazing opportunities. So I'm waiting for them to unfold. Absolutely, I understand that. When you come through that route of expertise and then you move into more of a leadership role, you do step away from actually that solid sense of grounding of this is, you know, this is who I am, this is what I'm good at, actually I'm stepping a bit more into the unknown, as you say, whether it is very much leading the practice in Wellington, leading the, the the team, the people there, as you said, maybe stepping into governance and providing some leadership there. Yeah, interesting, as you say, wait and see what unfolds in, in the future. And one last question, hopefully it's not such a tricky one, this one, Catherine, is what career advice would you have for, for other women? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to share with you five things that I have recently shared with a few of the women in our organisation. I've done a little bit of a road trip. So if any of them listen to this, they will be like, oh, I know this already. But there's five things that I've learned and that I come back to myself from time to time. So the first one is actually related to that story of the client I bumped into. So when when things feel scary, you're growing. That was the advice he gave me at that time. You feel like you're outside your comfort zone, but actually you're growing into a new level, into a new skill. The second one, remembering that asking for help is a gift to the person that you're asking. And I was taught that by a very dear friend of mine when our kids were all little and we were both trying to juggle professional lives. And she pulled me to the side one day and said, you never let me help you and it makes me feel like you don't need me in your life. And that was a really good lesson that actually never asking for help is weak, that the really strong people ask for help because it brings people in and you grow together. The third one is be more you, not less. So when I first was made a principal, there were two female principals in the organisation at that time. There was a brief moment where I thought, oh, I I need to be more like these guys and then very quickly realised that was ridiculous. Actually, I needed to be just exactly me and work really hard to continue to bring that different perspective to every table I was at. I think women sometimes underestimate their network. So the fourth one is use your network. And your network grows in different ways, often from what I've seen from my male peers. So they have professional networks that they've grown through a continuous, you know, 15, 20, 30 years in the profession, going to the same industry events, working on projects together. My network is from the clients I worked with when I was working for myself. It's from the other mums that were juggling professional lives and childcare when our kids were little. It's from my wider family network. It's from the projects I've done and it's the contractors I've worked with. And it took me a long time to realise that's a strong network too and that we shouldn't feel uh, that it's any less strong than the networks that perhaps um, our counterparts that have not taken time away from Uh, commercial kind of practice have grown. It's just different. 
And then the final one is to be bold. And I use that word on purpose because when I was at school at St. Mary's College in Wellington, the worst thing you could be was a bold girl. And I've now realised it's the best thing you can be because if you don't ask, you don't get. Absolutely magnificent advice. I loved every different part of that. And I would say particularly the one that, that hit home strongest for me was the one where you talked about actually just be more you that there is that temptation sometimes to look and to look at the other people that might be around, particularly at kind of senior levels and go, oh, I need to be more like that. Actually just being yourself with a bit more skill is great and you'll feel more comfortable and more authentic and be, be better for it. Catherine, it's been um, such a pleasure to speak to you today. I really loved hearing about your career journey, which has not necessarily been a straight line, but that's what I really loved about it and hearing those different parts of your career and the, and the elements that you got from that was wonderful. So thank you so much for taking the time to share it. Oh, you're welcome, Anna. It's been, it's been a nice morning for me. Yes, talking to you. Thank you. You're welcome. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.